Welcome to episode six, where we ask the question, can medical marijuana be used with dogs? Today, we'll talk to the first veterinary scientist to study this question. Also, thank you so much to those of you who left us a review on iTunes. It is the best way to help people find our show. So if you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to Fuzzy Lives Forever, a podcast by somebody who knows a lot about animals and somebody who loves animals a lot. My name's Will and I'm a veterinarian. And I'm Emma. I am a sun lover, worshiper, worshiper, all of the above, lizard goddess. And we're married. That's true. I know that's not a very good segue. (laughs) (laughs) People should know. It's getting hot in Nevada. It is. And I love it. And the worshipers come out. Yes. Finally. Can soak in the sun. Let all the day's troubles melt away. That's right. That's right. The school year is almost over. Yes. It's feeling good. It's feeling like the last mile of the race, which is both difficult but encouraging, I would yeah. say. Yeah. How do, the, do you sense a fever in the kids? Not yet. Not yet. When does no. when does spring fever come around? I feel it's probably different for every age group. My kids are a little young. They're not super calendar aware. Sixth like, graders? Yeah, over spring break I had kids, you know, the day before I'd be like, Oh, is it spring break tomorrow? And I'd be like, <laughs> What are you talking about? How could this not have been on your radar for like months? You know. So they won't get you know, summer fever until closer right much closer much closer like the day before yeah how soon maybe again i think it will depend on the kids let's talk about your your medicine with children how do you treat spring and summer fever in middle school kids it's not about treating it in the kids it's about how to deal with it as an adult so you treat it you self-medicate self-medicate <laughs> <laughs> and i do that by lying in the sun and reading honestly that is so wholesome Actually, if I'm being honest with myself, I treat myself with sugar. Yeah. That's what I do. Mm. We still have a little bit of that chocolate chip banana bread left. Yeah. It's I'm going probably quick, gonna though. eat that. <laughs> <laughs> Has your week been good? Yeah, it's been a great week. We we had our state testing at the start of the week, which means easy week. We've been watching a movie. I'm always telling it's you good. to show more movies. It's the first one I've done. That's pretty amazing. I'd be if I was a teacher, I'd be showing a lot of movies. I, I think <laughs> what I'm saying is I'd be a bad teacher. <laughs> How was your week? My week was good. My week was good. I had I had one come in this week, which was pretty interesting. I think people would probably be interested in. Um, we have a like a teachable moment. A teachable moment. That's yes, That's very good. Is it. that what you guys call it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a teachable moment. So, I had this lady come in and she she got this bulldog and the bulldog's name was Jasper, which is an excellent name for a bulldog, a good name. by the way. Um and he was about 4 months old, so he wasn't a little little puppy. He's a little bit getting a little bit older. And she had brought a bunch of paperwork from her breeder with her and in this paperwork, this breeder basically said to her that she needs to give this particular vitamin to her bulldog every single day, um, at least for a year, so that she gets this this health guarantee that the breeder gave her. Okay. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it's like a like a 
liability or warranty or something like that. Yeah, it's like, like a warranty, like a dog warranty. Okay. And so she's got this dog warranty, and the dog warranty says, you've got to give Jasper this vitamin every single day. Otherwise, your your warranty is void. Got you it. can't come in for an oil change yeah. or whatever the breeder's planning on doing. So okay. her question to me was, do I, do I really need to give these vitamins? She says, I didn't know bulldogs needed these vitamins. And I've got to say, this is the kind of thing that makes me want to pull my hair out. Because yeah. it's total BS. You hate when people are scamming other people. I don't people. like scamming. Yeah. I hate scamming, you know, especially when it's based on no fact at all, which I guess that's kind of what a scam is by definition. Yeah. But basically, um, this this little setup this breeder had going was she had to order these vitamins. Oh, through the breeder? Oh, yeah, through oh. a special website. Well, no, it was kind of more elaborate than that. She had to order these vitamins from a special website, and then she had to type in a promo code. And from what I could tell, that was a way of the manufacturer tracking the breeder. Got it. And giving the breeder a cut. breeder was like a a salesperson for the vitamins. Right. Except they were kind of extorting it because they were saying that you've got to give it. Otherwise, Otherwise we're not going to give it. Otherwise, we won't take the dog back if there's a problem with the dog. But even that was like a warranty. And and the the two things I said to her were, were, number one, it's a dog and not a car. And let's say you've got a six-month-old dog that you've fallen in love with and it has a health problem. There are very few people who would then take it back. back. You know, you're not going to go like you're going back to Costco and say, hey, this lawn chair doesn't work. It's It's a different thing altogether. So the first thing I said to her was like, you know, a warranty like this, while maybe of good intention. Right. Beside the scam, scam not included. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense for a dog. Right. You know, because you're not going to take your dog back. Most people won't. The second part of it was that it's just total BS. Dogs do not need a multivitamin. No matter what you read on the internet or what anybody may try to tell you, they do not need multivitamin if they are on a commercial dog food. And that dog food meets AFCO guidelines, which is basically a way of saying that it's nutritionally balanced for the particular life stage. And so rather than getting into the complexities too much, what we'll say is basically if you've got a puppy and you're feeding that puppy puppy food that's a commercial food... That dog doesn't need a vitamin. Preach, Dr. Will. I'm going to preach. You got really passionate there. <laughs> it drives me crazy. And because the other part of it is that if you give dogs extra vitamins, if you give them extra minerals and supplements, it can actually cause things as severe as joint deformities. Yay. And so it's not just a little thing where they're just throwing some money away. Sometimes it can actually cause real problems. And so she was a super nice lady. And she also said, hey, I'm not going to take this dog back no matter what. So Jasper was staying. So it didn't really matter, but, but you know, it's a good thing she asked. Yeah. Yeah. She asked and she was kind of thinking, maybe this isn't the most legit. Yeah. And I would agree. And And so that was one that I was just thinking about fuzzy, the world of fuzzy. And I thought, you know, other people. Teachable moment. Teachable moment. And we were thinking, we were talking before we started recording the show, we would like to hear more questions from the listeners, right? So you might have something like this. My brother keeps asking me why his dog sneezes when she rolls over on his back. We don't know the answer to that one, but we might know. Send us one we know the answers to. (laughs) We might know the answer to a different question. So we're going to put some instructions for how to to leave us a question on our website, fuzzylivesforever.com. So please go there and ask us a question and maybe we can can provide some more teachable moments for the funny, funny, fuzzy universe. For the fuzzy universe. So before we jump into our topic for today, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to... Give people a little more background about us and tell them where we're from. That's nice. Will, where are you from? Well, I'm from Kansas. I love how he answers this question because 
He is, but he's not. Where were you born? I was born in Cape Town, South Africa. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonder why? Because your parents aren't South African, are they? No, they're not. Where are they from? They're English. Ah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you were born in South Africa. Right. Your parents are English. Sure. After South Africa, you lived in? England. And then you moved to? Kansas. Actually, Missouri, technically. Kansas City. Right. I lived on both sides. Both sides. Both sides. And then you moved? Colorado. To Colorado, where Colorado. I'm from. Yeah, and that's, that's where, where we, we met. met. Oh, we so keep finishing each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. <laughs> we know that one now. There's <laughs> no new tricks anymore. <laughs> we, we met in Colorado. Yeah. And and you've you've always been in Colorado. Yeah. I never moved once. Lived in the same house since I was born in the same town in Colorado. Um, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because where I'm from and where we met is well known for marijuana. It is. It is. Would you say it's what it's most well known for? Mountains, then marijuana, maybe? Maybe in that South order? Park. South Park, then mountain, then mountains, <laughs> then marijuana, then marijuana. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, the top three. Yeah, the top three. Yeah, and moving away from Colorado, you you get a lot of kind of like jokes and jabs about being from Colorado. Do you? A little bit. I've never had one. Really? Never. Well, actually, I'm thinking more about the media. The media loves to like joke and jab right. Colorado about marijuana. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But we're in another state where it's legal now. Right. Nevada, too. Yeah. And the truth is, um, it's becoming a thing. Like, it's Marijuana? Becoming, yeah. I mean, I guess it's always been a thing. <laughs> it's always been a thing. <laughs> but it's becoming a mainstream thing because it's right. becoming legalized. And not only that, people are using it for a lot of medical reasons. Right. It's not just about having right. fun anymore. No. Um, and so... That kind of bridges into human medicine always into animal medicine. And so the question is, can you use medical marijuana with dogs? Right, right. What um, what has your experience been in the clinic with marijuana and animals? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's probably one. It's probably an experience a lot of vets have shared. And, and usually it's not the medical variety. It's usually more of an accident. And okay. especially with all the edibles that are going around, you'll find dogs that are eating things they shouldn't eat. They are eating brownies and they're eating yeah. you know, oh. cookies and How could you not candies. if there's a tray of brownies I know, out? I know. And so they'll a lot of times they'll eat an entire uh, pan of brownies or something. And what happens with dogs when they eat marijuana, like recreational marijuana, as people put it in brownies to get high, they tend to get slow heart rates. They will get really loopy, as you might imagine. A lot of times they have a loss of balance and they'll pee on themselves a lot. And it's kind of sad, actually. They seem to have a really tough time with it. The one part of it, I'll admit, it's kind of funny. You know, maybe that's wrong to say, but it's kind of funny. They do this thing where they suddenly startle. And so they'll be (laughs) like, they'll just be like zoning (laughs) out and then all of a sudden be like, oh, oh, what's that over there? Yeah, so they'll do this startle thing. And so they have kind of a, a classic appearance, which. It, for the most part, though, it's kind of sad because they obviously aren't having a good time. Yeah. And they can, they, a lot of times they can't stand up. And so I've never touched the stuff. <laughs> we'll leave it the at The devil's that. cabbage. <laughs> as you call it. As I, as I always refer to it. Um, so at, at least from the, the situations we've seen, dogs, they, they, and there's not a ton you can do about it. There's some, there's some um, possibilities of something called lipid therapy where they use fats to try and 
it doesn't really matter. All you really do is you give them time and eventually they stop being high, you know, yeah. and it can take a day or so if they've eaten a lot of it. One of the, the first questions I think that comes up with dogs and marijuana is, is it safe for them? Right. And then the number two question, can it be used in a medical way? Some of those components of marijuana that don't necessarily lead to a high could potentially have some medical benefits. Yeah. I think what's interesting about marijuana is that it has this this real appeal for many people, that it's this natural thing and that they would love for it to be kind of an answer to these problems. Right. So the question is, can we separate this over-glorification in some ways from the facts, you know, because it's very unlikely that marijuana is going to fix all of the health problems. But then again, there there is definitely potential for some of the components of marijuana. And that's what we're going to talk about today with Dr. McGrath. Somebody who knows a a lot about it. A lot more about it. Yeah, she is one of the first people, well, we'll let her tell you. Yeah. Do, do you want to just start by introducing yourself and telling your background and what you do and where you are? Yes, of course. Um, so my name is Stephanie McGrath. I am a, a neurologist, veterinary neurologist at Colorado State University. Um, so now I work in the uh, clinical sciences department doing uh, both medical and surgical neurology on dogs and cats. So you're a brain surgeon? Um, sure, yes. I'm dogs <laughs> and cats, specifically. <laughs> My husband likes to say I'm a brain surgeon to people, but I think it's uh, fairly misleading. So let's let's get into this whole marijuana cannabis thing. And I think one of the first questions that I had or we had was, what is the difference between marijuana, cannabis, CBD, and THC? Because it seems like those things are important, at least from a legal perspective and maybe from a medical perspective, too. My understanding is that cannabis, uh, specifically cannabis sativa, is the name of the plant. Marijuana is the, um, I believe... The most common understanding of that is that that's the portion of the plant that is used for um, medical or recreational use. And then, um, so that uh, I guess most people consider that, for example, this uh, stalk, um, which may be used for things like industrial uh, hemp, may not fall under the same definition of, of marijuana. And then the plant uh, makes a variety of what they call cannabinoids, which uh, include things like CBD and THC, um, among actually many others. I think there's 40-something cannabinoids described now, the most common of which are CBD and THC. CBD is cannabidiol. That's the long word for it. And that's the most common non-psychoactive form of the plant. And then THC is what... um, people use to get high. So that's the psychoactive form of the plant. And so those are kind of the two most common um, things that the plant produces that are used uh, both recreational and medicinally. Wow. I learned something there. Yeah, that's I've lived in Colorado my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm right. (laughs) And so uh, within that same discussion then, what component of it are you um, or, or are people interested in when it comes to dogs and using it in dogs? So people are interested in all kinds of stuff. Um, my main area of interest is CBD, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive form of the plant. 
Um, and Will, definitely you know, and I'm sure Emma, just um, being both married to a veterinarian and I think much of the general public know that THC is toxic to dogs. So we have hard and fast evidence. We know THC is bad. Um, and so the products that we're looking at and that I'm interested in understanding the medicinal value of are products that are very high in CBD because we believe that that's safe. We don't know, but we think that that's safe in dogs uh, and other animals for that matter and um, very low uh, in THC. So specifically products that would, by many um, standards of the definition, fall under the uh, term hemp. Right. Got it. Okay. Your dog does not like to get high. It's not good for him. Well, I don't know <laughs> if they like it or not, but we don't want them to know. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. <laughs> How much research exists regarding CBD in, in animals? And you mentioned... Um, a big word, which I think a lot of people wonder about, and that is safety. Um, how much exists on that safety frontier so far? And and, in, and maybe more broadly, how much research do we have about CBD in dogs? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, the answer is honestly none at this point, um, which is why I'm doing this. So when I started getting approached by various um, people, whether it was pet owners or veterinarians, asking about this, um, I started looking into it because honestly, I had very little interest in it. I, um, am, I guess a scientist by nature. So I'm very interested in using medications that have a long history of research and, you know, really good backing. Um, and this, uh, from what I could understand, honestly, in both the human and veterinary medicine, um, field had very little uh, research that had been done up until that point. So um, none, um, to be honest, as far as safety, toxicity levels, um, let alone effectiveness in in animals in general, uh, and definitely not in dogs. So that's how, that's why I started to become interested in studying it, because people are using it, as you mentioned, well, people are giving their dogs their, their own uh, edibles, their own uh, medical marijuana or CBD oil or whatever it is, and because they feel like, well, it works on them uh, or that it works on their aunt or it works on their cousin, whatever it is, then um, might uh, might as well try it on on fuzzy, and they uh, they're feeling like um, they might as well just do it, and so that scared me a lot um, because of the lack of research, and so that's kind of how I. Um, started delving in why I started delving into this. Yeah, it feels like really necessary research. Yeah, I hear a lot of mutterings about the same kind of stuff from people like, "Oh, I bet this would work on my pets too." And yeah, and like you said, we just don't know. Exactly, that's scary. Yeah, and when so when you're basically saying when you approach this, there was no research, but you have started to complete some studies or there's studies going on and I from what I understand you you started with a safety study is that right um sort of so we um so I decided to start with a PK study so a pharmacokinetic study which basically just looks at what the uh, drug does in a dog uh, a dog's and specifically in this case bloodstream so um, how high does the level go? Does it even reach the bloodstream? Because remember, we're giving the drug orally. And so there's the potential that it all gets excreted and none of it enters the bloodstream. And so we wanted to understand what the drug 
um, was doing in their bloodstream and that those studies had not been done. Um, there had been some rodent studies out there from, uh, I think, the 80s, some in the 70s, um, that had looked at what it did in rodents. But um, a lot of those uh, studies looked at the IV form and um, injecting it actually into the abdomen. So what they um, looked at in those studies, I didn't think was very relevant. And so we, we started with a pharmacokinetic study, a PK study. And along with that, we dosed the dogs with different dosages and different delivery forms for six weeks. So we did do sort of a short-term, I would say, safety um, profile, but we didn't honestly delve into um, safety hugely in that study. Um, it was really more of a, a pharmacokinetic study. And just for the non-veterinarian, pharmacokinetics means? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so um, pharmacokinetic is literally just what the drug is doing in your bloodstream. Okay. So you give them the drug orally. Um, obviously, they swallow it, it goes into the stomach. And then the hope with any drug is that a a large part of that drug gets absorbed, whether it's in the um, vessels that are lining the stomach wall or the intestines, um, but somehow the drug is getting into the bloodstream, therefore being able to be distributed throughout the body and hopefully have some effect. If the, if the drug is ingested, so they eat um, the oil or whatever form it comes in, and it never enters the bloodstream, so it travels through the intestines, gets excreted, then that's not a very, as you can imagine, a very effective drug. And so, um, so we started by just looking at what the drug did in the blood. And, and the, the premise of the study, I mean, literally what you do is you give them the drug, and then over uh, 12 hours, you take periodic blood samples from them. And then at the end of the study, you put all of the blood samples through a machine that tells you what the CBD looks specifically for CBD, what that level is or concentration is in the blood. Got it. And, and so did you find that it was readily absorbed and that it did spread into the bloodstream? You know, we were actually very encouraged by it. Um, I was a little bit worried going in, which is why I started with this study, because there was some concern that the drug was, would not be uh, absorbed orally from previous um, rodent studies and human studies that had been done years and years ago. And so I was not sure. And we actually did uh, get fairly good results, meaning that um, we were able to show that it was readily detectable in the blood and it had a, a fairly good what we call a pk or pharmacokinetic profile meaning that um at, you know if you think about it if you take a drug you want that level to go up fairly quickly um and then you want it to peak um some hours later and then it's going to start to drop off and so that's why we take drugs one or two times a day so or, or more but ideally one or two times a day so that we maintain a decent level in the blood. And so what I mean by pharmacokinetic profile being good is that it did have a very nice curve to it, um, meaning that clinically it seemed like it would have some value. Right on. Cool. These are great vocab words and put them right in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I teach them to my I'm sure you'll use them at your next dinner party. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and so as, as a neurologist, why was, why is CBD so interesting to you? And what, what's beyond these initial safety and pharmacokinetic studies, why is this really a question for a veterinary neurologist? So that's um, obviously from a bias perspective, my ulterior motive, if you will. So I, 
um, had seen, which you guys can Google, and um, if you haven't seen, I had seen right around when marijuana became legal in, in Colorado, a show called Weed, um, by, and it was hosted by Sanjay Gupta, who um, went and did a story about the medicinal, the medicinal use, I should say, not value, because again, not real research behind it, but anecdotal use of medical marijuana and its, um, its growing popularity in Colorado at the time. So I had seen that show, and that show had highlighted a little girl who had epilepsy, so uncontrolled seizures, really, really horrible. I mean, she was having hundreds of them, I believe, a day. Um, and her parents had moved, I can't remember where she was from, but they had moved to Colorado to get a drug, um, that they were hoping could help the, their daughter's seizures because they had, they felt exhausted, the drugs that were out there on the market at the time and, um, to no avail, their daughter was, um, incapacitated by her seizures and so they moved to Colorado and they started her on a, dr- a drug um, that was high in CBD and low in THC so as not to um, have that high effect on, on their, you know, several-year-old daughter. Um, and so uh, they moved here. That strain um, then became famous later on, or at least in that world. Um, and their daughter's name was Charlotte and the strain's name was Charlotte's Web. And I thought it was really interesting because... I thought that there was maybe a really good comparison between pediatric epilepsy or um, these, you know, really bad forms of epilepsy that affect young children um, and potentially that uh, would translate to epilepsy in dogs in terms of the treatment because, of course, again, we can't use drugs that are high in THC. So I thought it was um, a potentially really interesting translation. And so um, that really piqued my interest um, in using it for epilepsy in dogs. Um, because we currently, quite honestly, are really struggling to find good medications for epilepsy um, in dogs. And so I thought that, um, I don't know, maybe there was something there. So that's currently what I've, what I've delved into. And um, the PK and safety stuff was really just to see if there was any um, potential value in the drug and make sure that we weren't going to hurt dogs in the process. Um, of trying it out. So. Yeah, and so we're, we're talking about epilepsy now, and, and th- by which we mean seizures, is that the best way to describe it? And could you just tell us a little bit more about epilepsy in dogs and, and why that happens? So epilepsy is, um, yes, by definition, it is a series of seizures. So rather than just one, um, for example, if you had um, suffered from something like heat stroke. So if your dog overheated, they could potentially have a seizure, but you treat the heat stroke and the dog doesn't ever have a seizure again. And so that in theory would not be called epilepsy. So epilepsy is when dogs suffer from a disease um, that manifests itself as seizures that happen intermittently. So whether that's um, every day or every week or every month or once a year, um, that would qualify as epilepsy. Um, it's a genetic disease, we believe. So it's something that is, um, is I guess, um, they're born with, for lack of a better term. And so they um, develop this disease at some point, either um, early on in life or some even can develop it later on in life. Um, but it's not, by definition, caused by some underlying problems. So I use the example of heat stroke, um, brain tumors, 
uh, infections, things like that. Um, we basically rule out all of those potential causes and then back into a diagnosis of uh, genetic epilepsy, um, which we shorten to epilepsy. I see. And, and so you're saying that in some dogs, it's really hard to control epilepsy? Yeah. So similar, actually, um, in humans, about a third of epileptic dogs, despite being on standard medications, so meaning that medications that have been researched and are available commercially for treatment of epilepsy in dogs, um, the, the dogs that have um, been given or on those treatments can, can continue to have seizures at um, a rate that is considered unacceptable by owners. And usually we call, we, we think about that as two or more seizures a month. Um, and that affects, so, I mean, if you think about it, that's a really high number. So if we take all of our epileptic dogs, put them on standard medication, about a third of them will still continue to have uncontrolled seizures. Wow. Wow. And so is there a reason why some are more difficult to control than others? Is it, it, we just don't understand. Is there a way to test to see what dogs might respond to? We don't know. Um, and that's the um, troublesome part of the disease is that there's not a certain test or, um, you know, certain breed or anything like that, that we can say, oh, your dog is likely to respond to, you know, this particular medication or your dog is better um, suit to, suited to respond to this medication. We don't, we don't know why some dogs do well and some dogs don't. Um, but clearly a pretty um, devastating disease to some owners and some dogs. And so we uh, really are, as a neurologist, we're really always looking for the newer and better medication that might be out there. Um, because, you know, I hate to say it, but unlike humans, um, we have the option of euthanasia. And so these dogs oftentimes are euthanized for either uncontrolled seizures despite trying various treatments or they have them on such high doses of these medications that the side effects themselves are ruining, in their opinion, their dog's quality of life. And so um, we're trying to eliminate or at least um, dramatically decrease that percentage that of dogs that are not able to be well-controlled on medications that um, don't have bad side effects. So this this study with the CBD and for epilepsy, is this ongoing or have you gotten some results from it yet? So we have um, the pharmacokinetic study is um, scheduled to be published in July in the Canadian Veterinary Journal. And then the current study, so we did a pilot study um, last year that just got completed, um, we did one in epile with epileptic dogs, and then we did one actually with arthritic dogs. Um, and those two studies have just finished um, enrollment and been completed. So we are in the process of analyzing that data now. So I hope to have those results um, in a few months. If you guys love this interview, you're, yeah. you're welcome to give me a call back. We can talk about results. Yeah, <laughs> um, check that in. And then... You. <laughs> and then the um, AKC, the American Kennel Club, just recently uh, funded a, a big in, veterinary, in the veterinary world project um, looking at um, epileptic dogs and CBD. So they liked the first study that we did um, and um, a little uh, spoiler alert, I guess, um, seems to be giving us some promising data. Um, and they enjoyed that, so they decided to 
um, give us a pretty uh, large grant for a bigger epilepsy study. Um, so we actually just started enrollment for that study in January, and that's slated as a three-year study, so a much larger uh, population of dogs, and we'll monitor them over a longer period of time. So um, pretty exciting. So we're in the midst of doing that one now. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. This is really cool. Very, very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah, thanks. And then, um, so obviously, these studies are ongoing, and you're kind of the first to be doing these. Like you said, there's not a lot of information out there. So what would you tell a dog owner who's considering giving medical marijuana to their dog? So I would say, um, so medical marijuana, just um, to make sure that we're using our terms correctly, is by definition, plant set or um, a product that has a fair amount of THC. So don't give your dogs medical marijuana. Um, If they want to give their dogs CBD specifically, um, and again, that would sort of fall under the definition of hemp in terms of it being high in CBD, low in THC. And what we look for specifically for number is less than 0.3% THC. Um, And that's, again, that's what falls under the definition of hemp. Um, Medical marijuana has more than that, and that's what's potentially toxic to dogs. So I would say be very careful when they're looking at products to make sure that the product is very, very low in THC. and most companies, if they're um, a good company, uh, and that's kind of an air quotes because, you know, honestly, there really is no regulation right now. So people can put whatever they want in the market and say whatever they want. There's zero regulation as far as um, uh, FDA um, intervention goes. And so be careful. But most companies should, any company should be able to, to provide owners with what we call a certificate of analysis. Um, So if it's not available on their website, then if they contact the company, they should be able to obtain that. If they can't, I would be very reluctant to use that product. Um, And if they can, then again, the numbers you want to look for are um, low THC, less than 0.3%, and then um, a far greater amount of CBD. And that, you know, again, that's what we're looking at specifically in our study. Um, But again, I don't have any published results on safety, toxicity, side effects, um, drug-drug interactions. So if their dog's also taking, you know, maybe um, a drug like um, Rimadel, so like an an NSAID uh, equivalent of maybe something like Tylenol in humans, but they're taking it for arthritis, then we don't know what this drug does with other drugs. And so I would just be a little bit cautious about um, you know, if their dog's in a heart medication, we again, we have no idea what these um, these drugs can do. And so um, I would just be careful until more studies come out about using the drug. And if they are going to, then just look for those numbers. That's Good. awesome. Those are really clear guidelines. Yeah, thank you very much. And are there any, any final remarks or any other additional comments you wanted to make about any of your research or anything you want to say to the, the world of Fuzzy Lives Forever? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the only thing um, I would reiterate is that I, I do think, you know, I, I think I can come off a little bit negative. Again, I'm a scientist by nature, so I love having things and results, clear evidence that backs these medications, and I get nervous about using them without that. Um, that being said, I'm, uh, you know, at the forefront of doing this research, so obviously I uh, have some 
feeling like this drug has a potential um, positive effect for um, for dogs and cats and other animals. And so I think it's super exciting research, and I um, am really excited to uh, continue to do the research, and I encourage owners to um, just really be, you know, question companies and make sure that they're getting the product that they think that they're getting. And um, we, I would say for now, as kind of a, you know, a, a, I guess somewhat non-scientific um, uh, outlook, we at this point are really not seeing any adverse side effects. And so, and we're using these products at much higher dosages than what I've seen commercially available. So I will say sort of um, off the record, if you will, although I know it's a podcast, but um, that these products are probably safe um, if they are um, following the guidelines that I mentioned. And I uh, look forward to anecdotal reports and seeing what people are finding if they are um, brave enough to use them. I like that. I like how you're kind of leaving us on an optimistic note. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I'm doing the research. So I obviously think it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, but I look forward to backing that with some science. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Stephanie. <laughs> no problem. And it's really exciting to hear that we're starting to get some data because it certainly puts the rest of us vets at ease when we've got some some data behind it. And, and so I think everybody's really excited about what you're doing. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I will pass on to you guys any results that we get, um, hopefully within this year, so that we can um, share that with the Fuzzy Lips Forever world as well. The ever-expanding universe. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This brings us to our final segment, which is Animals Online. Got to take care of business from last week. First, you met Ludwig the guinea pig. Excuse me, skinny pig. Oh, good one. <laughs> and from the comments from last week, I can announce that the winner is, drumroll please, Corey Johnson. Yay, Corey. Congratulations, Corey. You are going to win the undetermined prize of the week. Which I am now realizing, I didn't decide on. You the haven't prize. determined. I haven't determined the prize. <laughs> this has never yet. come up. What are you? What is it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, we're going to be sending you one pound of marijuana in the <laughs> United States Postal Service. So keep an eye out for that one. We're going to be sending it to where you work. So please send your work address. Oh, is that not what we're going to do? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like they're just like the FBI is probably like, huh? listening in. That guy. I saw a guy Gary's in a van out there. And he said, the guy. Huh? I think I think we should send Corey some chocolate. Okay. So, Corey, you will get some Fuzzy Lives Forever chocolate, which just means. Just chocolate of some kind. It's just chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. We promise it's not laced with anything. It's going to be totally fine. We're totally trustworthy people. So direct message us your address or send us an email at fuzzylivesforever at gmail.com. With your preference of chocolate type. Next week, <laughs> to win the Animal uh -huh. Online Comment Contest, all you have to do is comment on the photo of this animal that I post on Instagram or Facebook. This week's Animal Online is... Louis the Labradoodle. This is an 
adorable <laughs> labradoodle puppy who's owned by a good friend of mine who is also a photographer. So the pictures are amaze. And um, his Instagram is life with Louis the dude. And as an added bonus, I chose him this week because I am going to Austin to see him and her this weekend. Oh, so you're always I traveling. Get, I know. I'm a girl on the go. <laughs> so I can get some some real FaceTime with Louis the Dude. Right on. Send him my regards. Will do. Wonderful. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about today on the pod? I feel good. You feel good? I feel like we covered it. That brownie's really kicking in, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a brownie. <laughs> Just a regular one. Just a regular one, though. <laughs> Just with extra chocolate chips. Please. Mm. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Fuzzy loves you. Bye. <laughs>